You are listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Well, we're back. I was going to say weekly, your monthly podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, about that weekly thing. (laughs) We are back. It has been over a month since we've recorded. Andrew went on some holidays. I went on some holidays. And now here we are, ready to go again. Right. Uh, This is episode 82 of the North Peace Roundtable podcast. If we have any listeners left, they've all (laughs) lost hope. Like They're they're not going to ever record again. It's our comeback story now. This is our comeback story. Yeah. Yeah. We're gone We're gone. Just we're now going to record like 12 in a row just to prove that we're serious about this. Yeah. We were gone just long enough for a comeback to be viable. So there you go. <laughs> but if you are uh, new to listening, we do try and record this, you know, roughly every week. Uh, but I was on holidays for a couple of weeks, went down to the USA U.S. got my daily or my dose of freedom. Yeah, America. <laughs> my it was funny. My dad did ask, "Well, like, how was it? What was it like?" I was like, "It felt free, Dad. It, it felt, felt free. free." And then he was like, oh, "I roll. Give me a break." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, today we have two questions that we want to try and tackle. We'll see if we get to both of them. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll just kind of give the gist of the question. Someone asked. Um, can you can you explain what we mean by, you know, the kingdom of God is already but not yet? And then how as Christians do we actually, you know, live in that reality? Yeah. Right? Is it just like a little catchphrase that we say or does it actually change our daily lives? Get a lives? bumper sticker of it. So I think a good place to start would be what is the kingdom of God when when you and I talk about it? It's a place... In the sky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. So what is the kingdom of God? We see all throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about uh, preparing a place for us. We see that he is uh, ushering in his kingdom through the ministry that he's doing. Uh, and so the kingdom of God is basically the people who would believe in Jesus make up the kingdom of God. We are the bodily temple of Christ here on earth. And together we make up the kingdom of a new creation, right? So mm. we are already in that kingdom as believers, but as you can tell, the world is not perfect as of yet. So that's where that tension would come from. But the kingdom of God is as best as simple as I could explain it would be the already believers who are, are making up the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's how I would explain it. I don't know. what. How would you go for it? Yeah, it's interesting because like you said, you read the Gospels and sometimes Jesus says, oh, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. The kingdom of God is, is at hand or it's here. And even when I'm uh, in one of the Gospels, I think it's Matthew when or yeah, but when they they're asking Jesus and he's like, well, the kingdom of God's right in front of you. So you're like, Okay, so is that Jesus? Is he the... And then sometimes he says, well, it's coming. Yeah. So you go, okay, well, is it coming or is it already here? Is it embodied in Jesus? Is it... Uh, And then Jesus says things like in John uh, 19 uh, with Pilate where he's like, uh, my kingdom's not of this world. Mm. If it was, my my followers would be fighting and attacking and... And yeah. the pilot's like, but you're a king? Yeah. Right? And he's like, well, it's, my kingdom's not of this world, though. So you go, okay, well, it's not like a physical kingdom. So I think uh, I agree with what you said, uh, but maybe I would just add on yeah. that I think that the kingdom of God, if you wanted to like, and again, there's differing opinions, but my view is that the kingdom of God is basically his rule and reign on earth, but it's 
through the followers of Christ, the followers yeah. of Jesus. Right? Yeah, that's so well it's it's a good thing to add. It's his. It's the church. It's followers of Jesus. It's but it's his rule and reign through them and in them, I guess. But like I said, there's there's some people that think nope, the kingdom of God should be like a physical right. We gotta Christianize the government, education system, blah 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 yeah. blah, blah, and that's God's kingdom coming. Yeah. Um, there's some very charismatic people, right? The seven mountain mandate. Uh, and some of you listening are like, what? But they basically identified seven spheres of society. And they say the kingdom of God is us taking over all those things. So hmm. media, uh, government, uh, the education system, the family. Da, da, da. And then once we've taken over all of that, then now, hey, the world's a Christian world, basically. Hmm. So I think that that's kind of an overreach because, I mean, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not like how the kingdoms of the world operate. Yeah. So I think it's God's rule and reign primarily uh, through the church, right? So as you, you know, are a Christian husband and a father and you... Let's just pretend that you didn't work in the church, but you're a plumber. And as you do life and as you go to work and as you like, you are living in the kingdom of God because he rules your life yeah. essentially. Yep. So, so then the already not yet is interesting because you go, okay, well, if the kingdom of God is, is his rule and reign, well then it's here. And I'd be like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. But it's not quite here. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like why, why do we use language like that? Like, Already, but not yet. Like, what do we exactly mean by that? Is it going to, is there something that we're missing out on because it's not oh, fully here yet? Or like, what is it that interesting, is, yeah. what is it that's not yet? I, the not yet specifically that part portion of that phrase that we use is when we, when we say that we're referring to the second coming of Christ, the not yet yeah. refers to specifically that when Christ will return and make all things new and heaven will meet earth like a sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Unforeseen. 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 <laughs> Can I just say like that's I hate that song. Yeah, I don't like it because either. I can't remember when that song came out. I just like the jokes about it. Yeah. Um <laughs> but I was it in Maple Ridge or was it when I was in high school? But anyways, I remember there was one lead leader that always <laughs> sang the sloppy wet version. <laughs> and as like a like a male singing that it always just gave me the heebie-jeebies i'm like i don't want to talk about heaven and earth making out like that's gross anyways continue so yeah <laughs> heaven heaven <laughs> heaven will meet earth uh christ's rule will be will i don't want to use the word final because it's already final but it will be made complete here on earth the creation will be made new Judgment will happen and it will be the new heaven and new earth living on then into eternity. Yeah. Well, I and like that you said it's not final because, okay, did Jesus defeat death on the cross? Yes. But do we still die? Yes. Right? Did Jesus defeat Satan on the cross? Yes. But is he still, I was going to say, prince op of the power operating, of the but is he still doing stuff? Yes. Yeah. Did he defeat sin on the cross? Yes. Yeah. But we said, so yeah, that's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. So his, his victory is final, but it's, it's, that's where then the already part comes in, mm -hmm. but not yet. Right. So mm -hmm. we live in this tension where we know the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has come, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, defeated sin and death all in one swoop. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, but then he still, in God's wisdom, allows us to live in a world that is still broken and affected by that. Yeah. As we, as his, as his church, who are under his rule and reign, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want to say do our best, but where we live under that rule and reign, right? So that looks like a people that are consistently being molded into the image of Christ, right? Yeah. And so the the process of sanctification within that tension is never complete. Right. But once Christ returns, then it's it it's like it happens again. So at conversion, there's that like step where you repent and you turn 180 and then you're saved, right? You are justified uh, through Christ's righteousness. Right. And then after that, there's this process of sanctification where you become more and more like his son or more and more like Jesus. And then after he returns, it's like that another big step where you end up, where not end up, where Christ does make you whole again, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that's that's the tension. That sanctification process is that tension of already, right? Because if you are a Christian, you will know and, and the marks of that will be the fruit of the Spirit because Jesus will be consistently changing your heart through the Holy Spirit to look more and more like him, which in turn looks more and more like the kingdom, which in turn will affect more and more people and, and multiply and stuff. It's it's a beautiful picture, really. Yeah. So some passages that I wrote down that kind of show this, hey, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here. Some people use language like, well, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but he hasn't consummated it. So he started it, but he, he hasn't like, it's not complete and full yet. Not that's even that language is confusing because it is complete. It's, but it's not here fully yet. Yeah. So in Hebrews two, eight, nine, Paul says at present. So like right now, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So Paul says, like, you look at the world, and right now we don't see everything in subjection to Jesus. Right? Jesus says, I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, all authority has been given. But you look at the world and you're like, well, my neighbors aren't subject to Jesus. The government isn't. And that's the the not yet part. And yet Paul says, but he's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So he is the king. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But even- just it's it's here. But there's still things in the world that aren't subject to Jesus yet because he it's not fully consummated yet. Yeah. Um, even I like in First John 3, 2, uh, John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God. So there's the already, right now, you are a child of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. Like, we're already children of God, but we're not quite what we're made to be yet. Yeah. But when Jesus returns, boom, we'll be exact. We'll be like him. I shouldn't say exactly like him, but we'll be like him in his image yeah. because we're going to see him face to face. So yeah. all, in that one verse, you kind of have this, all right, I'm already a child of God, but I'm not quite fully what I'm meant to be yet, yeah. right? It's already, but it's it's not quite yet. Why why do you think there is this gap, so to speak, then in time where when you believe in Christ or after Christ died and rose from the grave, and now there's this there's this gap of time where he's allowing us to live in this tension of the kingdom being at hand but not. Why do you think that that would be there? So you want me to explain why God's plan is the way that it yeah, is? <laughs> I do. In in detail, Pastor. tell me God's sovereign plan. So, please. so the reason yeah. I asked this question is because I was just 
as we were talking, uh, the th- the theme of uh, and which I think it was in Hebrews you read where it says that he is glorified because of his death. I believe it's in the book of John where he talks to his disciples about how uh, don't you know that a seed must mm-hmm. die, that it must bear fruit type thing. We're called as Christians to die to ourselves daily, right? Pick up our mm-hmm. cross daily uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any part in that, that in his, like, this is just spitballing and this isn't actually, yeah, this is just throwing an idea mm-hmm. out there and, and I wouldn't mind a response. Do you think that maybe part of it is that Christ is allowing us time that we would die to ourselves so that we can actually bear the fruit of the kingdom so that his kingdom can actually be made whole? Because it seems like even if he's glorified in his death, it's kind of an interesting wording because I don't think that in our culture anyways, we think of death as a glorious thing. Hmm. Even as Christians, I think we might struggle to do that, right? Like if we have a loved one, we would like often I hear like, oh, they're they're with Jesus now and that's amazing. I've heard that just recently and I, I believe that that's true too. But I still think that there's a hint of like, oh, I don't know about that death thing. Like, hmm. I, I don't know. I think that it, yeah, what do you think? Do you think that there's an allowance of us to die to ourselves so that the kingdom can be made whole? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, like there is an element of even, I remember someone asked me once, like, why did God send Jesus when he did as if we can figure it out? I'm like, I don't know. Cause <laughs> yeah. because God knows what he's doing. Like, yeah. Yeah. So why has it been 2000 years when Jesus told his disciples, like, I'm going to be back soon. Um, I don't know. I think, on one hand, I can be confident that it's because God is sovereignly working out his plan yeah. to display the glory of his grace to many, many, many people. But again, I think sometimes uh, people say like, well, you know, God's delaying because not enough people have con- converted yet. Mm. And I'm like, maybe. But do do any of us really know for sure? Like God could have come back whenever he wants. Like he can choose when he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, but I think absolutely. you're right. There's as time goes on. Um, I don't think it's so that, you know, we can, you know, fulfill something in his kingdom. Mm. Like we have any kind of power to do that. Yeah. No, but I think it's, you look as the last 2000 years have gone by, God has given ample time to display his glory yeah. through the grace that was given. Right. Yep. Even Ephesians one talks about that. Right. Um, I might as well just read it rather than try and paraphrase (laughs) paraphrase. But now I got to find it really fast. Jeopardy music. Go. Um, Yeah. He talks about choosing us before the foundation of the world. We'll be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then in him we have, so Paul's talking about our redemption is according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. So, you know, you, that answers a question of, well, you know, why does it, why is that person saved and that person's not? And why yeah. are, why did it take 40 years for my dad to get saved? And it's because it's to, according to God's will so that he would receive glory because of his amazing grace. So, yeah, I mean, it would have been amazing if Jesus, uh, you know, died, rose again and then said like, now it's done. Everyone come with me. Like yeah. you don't have to suffer. You don't have yeah. to like, but he didn't. And we go, okay, I, I trust God's timing and his plan. Yeah. Even though it's like a lot of times I'm like, well, 
you could have come back a few times already, Jesus. <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> but I think it's in his perfect will. So, um, so then as Christians living through this tension, what mm-hmm. does that look like for us? <sighs> that was my coffee break. Um, that's a great question. So there's a few, uh, maybe it would help to talk about like how we don't, <laughs> live, how we don't through it. live through this. Yeah, sure. Cause I think there's two errors and, uh, uh, there's one writer that I read, he called it either an overrealized eschatology or an underrealized. So what I mean by that is sometimes when we talk about the kingdom of God, you look ahead to revelation and you go, okay, no pain, no sickness, no crying, no death riches blah 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 and you go i want that now we're in the kingdom so and that's a lot of the the prosperity teaching is this is promised to us in the kingdom so you have access to it now yeah Yeah, essentially and and it's an overrealized eschatologist means your view of the end time is it is an overrealized so you go yes that's in heaven so i want it now that's not how you live in the kingdom of God, yeah. right? Because then it's this idea of like, well, if in, there's no sickness in the kingdom, so there shouldn't be any sickness in me. And then we still get sick and there's we still die and we st- we're still persecuted and we still have poverty. And yeah. so I think that's a wrong way to view it saying like all of the benefits of the kingdom that's coming, I want that now. And then the opposite is true. Like some people live with this underrealized where it's like, you know, there's there's nothing, there's no benefits at all. Woe is me, right? Yeah. Uh, don't even bother praying for miracles because they don't exist anymore. And yeah, it's like almost this like, um, uh, well, I might get into trouble for saying this, but, you know, the idea that, well, the gifts of the spirit have ceased. Mm. And it's like this underreal, there's no, it feels like there's no power to the kingdom because it's yeah. like, well, we're just humans. My grandma just died. And it's like this Eeyore complex yeah, of, yeah. woe is me. It's a good way of putting and it. And Jesus just needs to come back because everything's terrible. It's like, well, we're we're meant to live in this this tension. Like I think that's the word you used. Where no, uh, death it has not been defeated yet. We still get sick. But the, the Spirit of God is with us. Yeah. And we have unbelievable I hate using the word access to power, but we do, right? Like the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you and in me. And so that should change like the way we view life. We should pray with confidence and with faith and we should ask God for him to do miracles and blah, 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 blah. But we shouldn't, it's not a guarantee, right? Yeah. Right. So let's get, I'll give you an example. There's a guy in our church who's sick, right? I won't use his name cause I don't yep. know, but anyways, yep. cancer all throughout his body. It doesn't look good. So if, if we had an overrealized view of the kingdom, we would go, well, that that's not okay. Cancer has no yep. claim over his body. Yep. God's we, will is that he'd be healed. Yes. Now, let's today. all pray and declare that cancer, you, you're not allowed to be in his body cause he's in the kingdom and blah, blah, blah. So, like, by all means, unless the Spirit of God intervenes, like, he'll probably pass away, Yeah. right, in yeah. a while. We don't know because we're not God. But a proper view of the kingdom is to go, no, we're going to we're gonna be uh, interceding for him, like, as believers. But what I, I don't mean uh, pray. We're going to yeah, be praying for him. Pray. The Spirit is our intercessor. Yes. We're going to be praying for him in faith. God, would you please heal him, like, miraculously take this cancer out of his body. Yeah. 
And yet we're going to just trust that, okay, God, if not, your plan is perfect. And would you draw men and women to yourself through his testimony? Would you, I think that's a proper view. Not like, well, there's no hope. Yeah. Or cancer must leave his body. It's like, I I think even then like where, where some of the root of that goes to is what our view of defeating death actually means. Right. Sure. Would it mean that defeating death means that literally nobody physically dies a physical death here on earth anymore? Or does it mean that we know that because Christ has defeated death, that there will be a day where that no longer Mm -hmm. happens, where there, there will be a day where we are, if you have passed away, where you'll be resurrected with your new body and join Christ here again when earth is made new. Right. Like those, I think it's important to ask those questions. Right. And to, to, dig into where you would even land on those things and why you'd land on those things and, and to look for answers there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I know someone who, whose wife got really, really sick. Yeah. Uh, and she was not given very much time to live. And so the guy had been praying that she would be healed and he realized, well, that means that she would die Yeah, because that means be, that she's made whole because yeah. she'd be with Jesus and, and she wouldn't be in that pain anymore. And he said that that was really hard for him to, to realize like, Oh shoot. Like, do I actually yeah. want full healing for my wife or like just enough that I can have some more years with her? And then all the complications that come with that. Right. So I think that hmm. living in the kingdom, being a part of the kingdom, when you're uh, struggling through stuff like, like sickness, issues of health or finances or any of those things, I think what it looks like. And wh- I think one of the reasons God in his grace allows us uh, this space in between so to speak is so that we would learn to trust him so that he is glorified through mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. it's if you have become a christian especially later in life but even even if you were young when you became a christian you will know that your brain does not automatically every single time go to trusting jesus right off the bat what? with whatever situation yeah. you're in right yeah but the longer you're a follower of christ the more you see him working uh through people in your life miraculously himself changing things or or through his spirit convicting you the more and more you learn that he is who he says he is and that he is trustworthy right Mm -hmm. and so it's like this this interesting journey of like childlike faith where you first believe Mm -hmm. and going into like this this uh growing into an adult, so to speak, Christian, who is wise to know that God is who he says that he is right through his fatherhood and, and teaching us uh, through his spirit. I don't, I don't know. It maybe it's a weird analogy, mm-hmm. but it is almost like you grow up as a Christian, so to speak, uh, into understanding more and more. And that doesn't mean that you're perfectly mm-hmm. going to understand it, mm-hmm. but I think that it does affect the way our brains work with God in the sense of knowing that. Right. So Mm. then even if it's not our first response, uh, we can still remember then that God is who he says he is in those scenarios. And I think that that's part of part of the kingdom is understanding who he says he is. Right. When in revelation, when it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. I mean, that's because we know who Jesus is, right. Everyone will know in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I think just practically living in the already, but not yet, if, the kingdom of God is his rule and reign, then it's just increasingly submitting to his rule and reign. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, so as we do life and as you're whatever, you're a husband and a father, some people listening might just, uh, 
whatever in your dating life, in your work life, in your singleness, whatever your it sing- is. whatever it is, it's just uh, saying, okay, I want to continue to submit to God, to Jesus as the King. He's gonna have rule over my finances and over my personal life and over my job, over where I live, over, over sexuality. Yeah, over, like, it's like this aspect. increasing submission to Jesus yeah. as King. So that would be how you live in this already but not yet tension it's okay jesus is my king so i'm going to continue to submit to his rule and reign and again this is where some christians differ where it's like nope uh our job is to you know elect christian officials and christianize countries and Mm -hmm. moralize everybody and but i just don't see that in scripture that it's our job to you know take over by force um i think it's this invisible kingdom where we continue to submit to Jesus rule and reign. And as more and more people surrender to Jesus and submit their lives to him, that's the kingdom of God advancing and moving and growing. And, and, and if the Christian government, like, so the reason it bothers me is like, okay, if the goal is that we're going to Christianize countries and moralize everybody, then all the Christians in China are failing miserably when in reality they're probably doing a way better job than we are of living in the of kingdom. living in the kingdom and their country is pagan 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 like their yeah. government hates Jesus yeah and yet they're living in the the kingdom of God so i for me i just go this the standard can't be like how moral is your country because yeah. I'm like, all the persecuted Christians around the world would be like, uh, our country's terribly immoral, but we're trying to live in the kingdom, right? Yeah. So yeah. So I think that's a good barometer. Like, per- personally, if you want, okay, am I living in the kingdom? Well, are, am I submitting to the rule and reign of Jesus in my life? I yeah. think that's a good way to view it. So um, we got time. Hopefully that's helpful for you who sent that question in. Um, but now we want to like pivot. Zoop, zoop. And answer our second question. So um, basically the second question was, can you unpack Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard? And uh, what does that mean, essentially? So um, maybe I won't read all 15 verses, but essentially, I mean, Jesus taught in parables a lot. And he used a lot of different farming analogies and vineyards and planting and all that kind of stuff. So he, you know what, maybe I just will just read it. Cause I'm like, I could try it's, and pa- it's pretty short. I could try and paraphrase it or I could just read it and it would be, we're here better. to learn about the Bible. Let's go. Okay. Shut <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 20 for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. 
Now when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So, I mean, real simply, yeah, a guy hires a bunch of people throughout different times of the day. And I have it in here. Uh, so the, the third hour is 9 a.m., Right. So they, they, he hires this guy early in the morning. Uh, so like real early. So let's yep. just assume like 6 a.m. This guy's starting. Yeah. The third hour is he hires some guys at 9 a.m. And then uh, the 11th hour is 5 p.m. So like if the, their day in the Middle East was essentially 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's considered, you know, it's their Your 12 day. hour day. And then nighttime is the, la- the other 12 hours. Yeah. So yeah, you have a guy that's hired at 6 a.m. I'm going to pay you a denarius for the whole day of work. And then you have a guy that he hires at 5 p.m. with one hour left. Yep. And he pays them the exact same amount. Yep. Which I totally resonate with the guy who's complaining. Because <laughs> <laughs> if someone was like, hey, I want you to come and do some yard work for me. And I started at 6 a.m. And I'm working through the whole day, and he, I'm going to give you $100. Okay, great. And then if he said, hey, Corlin, at 5 p.m., come work for me for an hour, and he paid you $100, be like, okay, I'd great. be like, that's not fair. I worked 12 hours for $100, and Corlin worked an hour for $100. Yeah. So that's the complaint. Yeah. So I like um, that the master in the parable is like, what is that to you? You agreed. Yeah. I'm allowed to do whatever I want with my money. So yeah. who cares if I gave that guy $100 and you $100? But what does it mean? What does the parable mean? Yeah. So I've, I think a good question to start with first, because I was reading this last night and I, was, I, I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before. I think something that we do often is, is we read like, Chapter 19 is completely separate. Chapter 20 is completely separate. Chapter 21 is completely separate. And we just like, we like to box in wherever we read. Uh, so my question for you, cause you probably have a little bit more knowledge on this than I do. The end of chapter 19 is the, the rich young man, uh, the story of the rich young man. So mm-hmm. he comes and he's like, Hey, I followed your, your statutes. What do I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus is like, sell your stuff. Mm-hmm. everything you possess. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, well, I can't do that. And then the last words of chapter 19 uh, are basically the exact same thing as the story here in chapter 20, where it says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Mm-hmm. And right away as it goes into chapter 20. So my question is just from a, a literary standpoint. So how it's written does, is this a separate time like, is this like a month later that Jesus tells this story oh of the parable? Or is this like right away? Because I think that that's important. If we see two stories here that are lined up that end in the exact same language, often biblical authors use techniques like that of repetition mm-hmm. to like encourage the same types of themes. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, do you, do you know the answer to that? I don't actually know. Yeah, either. I mean, I'd have to do a little bit more digging, but it seems like it's the same conversation. Because even if you go to verse 23 of chapter 19, Jesus basically is trying to teach them after this interaction with, excuse me, um, the rich young man. He says, right, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The disciples go like, well, then who can be saved? Yeah. And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. And then Peter says, classic Peter, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So in verse 27 in chapter 19, Peter's like, okay, the rich young ruler wouldn't leave, but Jesus, I mean, we've, we've left, left everything. everything. So we must get along. And Jesus says, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who's left Houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he goes into this parable of what we would call like, that's not fair. Yeah. And then he, he ends in, and says, so the last will be first and the first last. So I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying to his disciples because they're asking. I think Peter is asking selfishly, personally. Yep. yep. Uh, I've left everything. So what do I get? And Jesus answers, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones. But he says, but uh, there's going to be lots who seem that they're first. They're actually going to be last. And then I think what he's trying to do with this parable is to say, one, uh, God's grace sometimes doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because, I mean, it it could seem unfair, right? Where you go, okay, I have I have lived my whole life trying to follow Jesus and suffering for him. And the guy on his deathbed who prays a prayer, he gets in too. Yeah. And we would go, that doesn't seem fair. He hasn't gone through what I've gone through for Jesus. Yeah. And I think Jesus, basically what he's saying is, am I not allowed to do what I want to do with my grace? Yeah. Like that's, that's the language of the master going, okay, I gave you grace, but I also gave this guy grace. Who are you to like argue with me? Am yeah. I not allowed to do what I yeah. want with my grace? Right. Yeah. And then I think he, what he's saying is that the last will be first and the first last. Notice that it's it he flips it. In Matthew 19:30 he says many who are first will be last and the last first. And at the end of the parable he says the last will be first and the first will be last. So he kind of like yeah. he flips it. Yeah. So I I think he's also saying that um the guy that works 12 hours we would assume that guy's going to be first in the kingdom, yep. but maybe he's last. And the guy that prays on his deathbed an hour before he dies, maybe he'll be first in the kingdom. So I think it's a, it's a lesson on God's grace and that God as the creator of everything, Jesus as our savior and king and redeemer, he can do what he wants with his yeah. grace. Yeah. I Does that agree. make sense? I, I would agree. Do you, I'm curious though. This is a thought that I had when I was looking at this the other day, just as like a, a really, really practical uh, historical point type thing. Do you think that any of this has to do with the fact that most of his disciples were Jewish and they would have thought that they just inherit the kingdom because Abraham was the forefather. Uh, yeah, maybe. And so he was the first. And then, you know, talking about anyone who believes, I, I can imagine it didn't sit well with a lot of Jewish people then that, mm -hmm. Anyone who believes in Christ has access, right? I, I would imagine sometimes we forget about things like that. I mean, I don't know yeah, exactly if well, he's talking yep. about that, but it would make sense if if he's talking to his disciples of like, hey, the first will be last and last will be first if you think you're pious. I mean, you look at the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they thought that they were in. They thought for sure they had everything because they had been mm -hmm. a part of a lineage of people that were God's people. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but they didn't know Jesus, right? So yep. then they weren't in at all. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think there's probably an element of that. I think it's so applicable to us because it's it's almost like, I like that um, in the parable, the master says, you agreed with me for yeah. Denarius, yeah. so take what belongs to you and go. Like, yeah. in, in reality, even practically speaking, uh, he's not wrong. Like to, yep. in, in our day and age, yep. if someone said to me, Andrew, I will pay you a hundred bucks for you to mow lawns for 12 hours. And they said to you, okay, Corlin, for this last hour, I'll give you a hundred bucks to mow some lawns. They have every right to do that. Yep. I might think that that's not fair, but the master, like if I, the guy who said that could say the same thing, Andrew, you agreed with me for a yep. hundred bucks. Yep. So take it and I can choose whatever I want. Yep. Right. So I think we do that though with, like I said, with, um, with God's grace, it's like, wait a second, that doesn't seem fair. Why does that guy yeah. get the same grace that I get? Yeah. And we do that. And it's like Jesus is saying, hey, uh, I showed you grace. Okay, so be be grateful for that. Yeah. And if I choose to show that guy the same amount of grace, what is that to you? I'm the master. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it, it almost like puts us in our place and it reminds us, okay, right, Jesus has shown me unbelievable grace. I should just be happy that he showed that guy the same amount of grace. Yeah. Like, but it's like a, it's like a dig at our human selfishness. Yep. Cause we're like, I deserve more grace than that guy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's an amazing parable and I like that you brought up where it's situated. Cause like, yeah, the rich young ruler just walked away and then the disciples are like, well, we've given up everything. everything and Jesus is like it's like he's like okay whoa whoa whoa, yeah. whoa let me correct some thinking here yeah right it's not a completely separate thought no, what I is being so. presented here right so that's it's really important when we read parables or anything in scripture to make sure I mean we we say it over and over again context is key and yeah. it's because it's really important right totally these, these stories are not like little um kids tv shows where they're like five minutes and then the next episode might have a little bit of crossover but it's entirely different <laughs> yeah, so it's not yeah. like every chapter is like a five minute read and then the next chapter there might be some cross. no it yeah these this is a especially in the gospels here this is a narrative right so there might be some jumps in time right where there's maybe mm -hmm. months that go by before mm -hmm. the next chapter starts so to speak mm -hmm. uh but the the narrative that pushes through the gospels is complete without mm -hmm those jumps right mm -hmm. so that's important to remember is to look ahead and and see where it does connect and see where the stories connect and be aware of the cultural implications of all this too so totally yeah well hopefully that's been helpful thanks for some great questions and as always we say if you're one of our listeners and you do have questions that you come upon as you're reading the bible or just stuff that you're working through send us a message or an email or a text or whatever, and we would love to help answer them if we can. So yeah. episode 82 is a wrap in the bag. I forgot to mention, I forgot to even introduce ourselves at the beginning. Oh yeah. Who are you? <laughs> Who are we? So I'm Andrew and, and with me as always is Corland. Goodbye. 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 And Cameron slept in. He texted us two minutes before we were to start and said, my alarm just went off. Sorry. I overslept. So he's on thin ice. And if he's listening, Cam, this is your official warning. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do written warnings. We do verbal. We do verbal podcast warnings. Yeah. So anyways, thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next week.